As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Today, it's all about Kylian Mbappe's decision to stay at PSG. Of course we are interested in Kylian Mbappe. We are not blind. Yes, how PSG shocked Real Madrid, plus all the ins and outs of an eye-watering new three-year deal and the boardroom battle between old and new money. The Athletics' Adam Crafton and Dermot Corrigan, plus Totally Football regular and Time Sport writer Tom Williams, are on hand to help us out and get our heads around all the chaos from this transfer, or not transfer, as it as it ended up being. Yeah, there certainly is a lot for us to get our heads around, so let's get straight into it. Welcome Adam Crafton, Dermot Corrigan and Tom Williams to the show. Dermot, I'm going to come to you first. How have Real Madrid taken the news? It's less than a week from their Champions League final with Liverpool. This seems far from ideal and it does seem to... Maybe it's taken some attention away from it in in some ways. It's been a huge shock for Real Madrid. Up until a few days ago, they were sure Kylian Mbappe was going to be moving to Madrid. Um, There's anger at how it's played out. There's some anger at Kylian Mbappe. There's anger at... Paris Saint-Germain, there's anger to Qatar, there's anger to Emmanuel Macron, even the French president. Um, That's kind of on the institutional level. The players themselves, I was at the training ground just today for the open day ahead of the game against Liverpool and everybody's, at least in public anyway, was like, we're really focused on the game. We're parking Mbappe and obviously it's up to him to make his own decision. We're looking forward to, to playing against Liverpool, but it's it's just there. It's in all the conversations. Everybody's talking about it. And it's a it's a huge disappointment, especially for Florentino Perez. And just a, a quick follow up as well. I mean, is any of that blame being passed back towards Madrid from the fans for their failure at, at achieving their goal? Yeah, that depends a lot on who you talk to. Florentino Perez isn't a guy who's used to getting blamed for, for when things go wrong uh, amongst the Madrid fans. Um, tends, he has things pretty much under control here. Um, but there are some people who will, especially the kind of anti-Florentino people who, who wouldn't be fans of Florentino, who would have enjoyed maybe to see him squirming a little bit and having to try to, to defend himself. But generally, it's not like he's going to be under his position at the club or anything is going to be in, in trouble. He, he's pretty secure. It's a huge setback for him, as the Super League stuff was last year was a huge setback and embarrassment for him. But but again, he rode that one out. He, he keeps fighting it in that one. And it'll be similar enough here. And Adam, you've written a, a massive piece on the, the saga and soap opera of this transfer. But tell us about the figures involved in the deal, because um, it's a pretty juicy package for Mbappe. It is, and it depends a little bit who you speak to, uh, just how those numbers turn out. I mean, the most consistent figures I've had are around 40 million a year, uh, 40 million euros a year. But you also have to factor in this huge signing on fee. And there's various reports and accounts of that, some as high as, you know, 300 million euros, some a bit lower than that. PSG very insistent, and I take this with a huge pinch of salt, that Real Madrid's offer was fractionally higher when you bring in uh, all the different 
all the different weightings that Madrid were offering when it comes to image rights um, and control over uh, how he would be marketed and things like that and the potential bonuses involved. But look, I mean, he's the highest paid player in the world. And, you know, I would say the most the most compelling proof of that is, you know, yesterday I was speaking to someone at PSG who was saying, look, he's not being paid that much more than Neymar and Messi. And I think when when you get into those those territories, you know, poor Killian, not quite. He's not being paid loads more than Messi and Neymar. Um, I think that tells you, you know, just how big this deal is. I think it's also a recalibration for PSG of how they consider their star players. You know, for when they signed Neymar, they were saying Neymar is the best player in the world. When they signed Messi, it was Leo is the best player in the world. Now they've renewed Mbappe. They've changed that. It is. We've renewed the contract of the best player in the in the world, and he is he was the priority of the club. And there's a huge amount of issues that have surrounded PSG for much of the second half of this season. Doubts over Mauricio Pochettino as manager. There's doubts over sporting director Leonardo, over the communications department, marketing department, women's team. Complaints by the ultras. Uh, will they sign Paul Pogba? And all these things they were kind of rumbling in the background. But whenever you asked about any of these things, it was. The priority is Mbappe. We need to deal with Mbappe, then everything else will follow. And I think that's what you're going to see now over the next few weeks. Real changes take place at PSG. It was unthinkable for them to lose him for nothing. Tom, how surprised were you that he has decided to stay? I mean, he's had a bit of bother because he, he didn't seem like he was thrilled around Messi arriving last summer. He got booed after the Euros with France as well. So it's been a bit of a turbulent 12 months for Kylian Mbappe and it did look for all intents and purposes that he was off to Real Madrid. How surprised are you that he has stuck around at PSG bearing all that in mind? Yeah, I mean, if you go back to where we were last summer, it's a huge surprise. Um, you know, we all remember those uh, those bids that, that, that Real Madrid put in late in the window to, to try and try and sign Mbappe that, that PSG rebuffed um, and then... A few weeks into the season, Mbappe gave uh, gave a big sit down interview to the keeper, and he said, "Yeah, I wanted to leave. I wanted to join Real Madrid. I thought my, you know, my time at PSG had come to an end. I, I felt that I'd kind of achieved everything here that there was to achieve. We know that Real Madrid has, you know, has been his his dream since he was a kid. We've all seen the pictures of him, you know, sitting on his his bed as as a teenager with." Posters of, of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, plastered uh, all over the walls, and, and it felt like you know these these two entities, Mbappe and Real Madrid, that have been sort of edging towards each other ever since his teenage years, were finally going to come together. Um, and and that's kind of been the feeling over the course of the whole season. The expectation was that that he would leave. You know, we knew, as Adam says, that that PSG were pulling out all the stops behind the scenes. But the fact that Mbappe had you know had come out and said publicly, you know, I, I wanted to leave and I wanted to to join Real Madrid, there was. There wasn't there wasn't much to suggest um, that, that that had changed, and and I think in particular if you look at the way PSG season has gone, um, it's been such a disappointment in in so many ways. I mean, obviously uh, going out of the Champions League against Real Madrid and the manner of, of defeat, you know, another Champions League capitulation, another humiliation. Um, but even before that, you know, despite running away with a league title, that their football has been has been really disappointing. Um, and the only player, really, who's performed with any kind of consistency is Mbappe. As a reflection of, of what a surprise it was, I mean, you know, we knew going into the weekend that an announcement was imminent. But even on Saturday morning, um, you know, the headline in, in L'Equipe uh, was that, you know, it was decision time and no one knew which way it was going to go. We now know that the big meetings um, at PSG had actually taken place on, on the Friday evening. And, and that's when, you know, that's when the deal was, was, was kind of thrashed out. But the, the suspense remained right up until right up until Saturday when, when the news finally broke. So, yeah, if, if you take into context what has happened over the last you know, over the last sort of nine, ten months, I think, yeah, it, it does have to be considered a big surprise. We started first really getting strong indications on Thursday that he had decided to stay at PSG and that PSG would, you know, really starting to plan things like how would they announce this? And uh, obviously it was on the pitch in the end um, on, on Saturday. But even though it, it had been communicated to them, I think by Thursday, that Mbappe had decided to stay, they were still really nervous. You know, they'd been told 18 months ago by Mbappe's team before the European Championships, he's going to stay. And then that changed. There was a lot of anxiety. There was, you know, a sense of, is he telling Madrid one thing and telling us another thing? Is he still playing one side off against the other? Is he trying to get 
another zero on the end? Is he trying to get one more bit, little bit of assurance, another clause here, another clause there? Um, and, you know, even on Saturday morning, when it was all but done, you know, they didn't have the signature. And it was only a couple of hours before he went out onto that pitch that they actually had pen to paper. And I think that really spoke for, you know, there was a confidence around PSG, but there was still this sense of, is he just playing the most extraordinary game because he's so talented and because he's so in demand and he can do that. And I think, you know, you speak to the people involved now and they say his mum played an um, played a blinder. I mean, yes, you know, you've got this incredible talent at the heart of it and that makes negotiating far more uh, straightforward. But, she, you know, by all accounts, she, she got absolutely everything they could have wanted out of this deal. And they would have got exactly the same, I think, out of Real Madrid as well. And I think what, what they've also got is PSG realised probably August last year Mbappe was never going to commit the next six years of his career to, to, to that club. And they became very flexible. It was, OK, well, what can we do just to make sure we keep you that bit longer? Do you want two years? Do you want three years? Do you want four years? Do we just do one year? They, they, they would have done any length to keep him that, li- that little bit longer. Uh, and what this deal does, it kind of suits everyone because mm. from Mbappe's point of view, he's 23. OK, you do a three-year contract. You have one stress-free season, I think, coming up, you know, where sort of rumours go away a little bit. And then after that, maybe you do another if you're enjoying it. If not, actually, PSG can sell him and they get a huge resale value out yeah. of it. And okay, so you can say PSG have spent a huge amount of money on this contract and a huge amount of money on the signing on fee. But actually, if they were to sell him a year or two years into it, they don't pay up that whole contract. You're probably talking about a world record transfer fee. It just, like how similar it is kind of to what was going on in, in Madrid as well last week. The people you were talking to, as the week went along, they've become much less sure that it was going to happen and that those nerves and anxiety that, that came in. And like the, the Mbappe family are dealing with some of the most you know powerful people in the world. Like Florentino Perez is like super rich, used to doing all these amazing um, international deals with, with his construction company. You've got the Emir of Qatar who, who's involved in it, Nasser uh, Khalifi, who's you know making these huge deals as well. Emmanuel Macron, who's calling them to... And there's all that kind of pressure was on the shoulders of, mm. of Mbappe, who's still just 23, and his mom, who, you know, for they're obviously a very capable family and, and a very, you know, you have to admire how, how they've been able to handle the pressure and all, but they don't have much experience of, of dealing on th- this type of level of, of dealing with these people, of fielding calls from the president of France, who, who's telling you to stay. And, and just listen to some of the, the interviews that Mbappe has done, uh, the, the round of interviews he's done since, uh, since signing his contract. He's talked a lot about how, you know, how f- he feels French, how he, when he finishes his career, he wants to, to live in France, how his family lives in France. And that's been taken in Madrid to, as a sign of the kind of pressure that, that was put on him in a kind of a, a nationalistic kind of way, maybe to, to say that you can't let your country down, you can't let the people down here. And again, you know, you could argue it's, it's hard luck on Madrid or they're trying to spin it whatever way it makes it sound better for them. But it does seem that that played on his mind, that it was part of the decision, whether it's it comes along with whatever side, whatever amount of zeros is on the, the millions of it, of the bonuses that he's going to get and the, the money he's going to earn from it. It's um it's just huge decision that, that, that he has made. And he's just such a young guy and his family are so inexperienced. I think that's also a deliberate comm strategy by both PSG and Mbappe to justify this decision that's been made. So I think, yes, there probably is that slight element of, you know, I'm French and I want to win the league with, with the, I want to win the Champions League with this team that's only about 10 miles from where I grew up kind of thing. But also there is also this deliberate comm strategy from PSG to build their brand around Paris. Um, you've got the Olympics coming to Paris in 2024. They've tried, I think, you know, they've got this new shop, uh, new sort of boutique store, which actually when you go into it in New York, it's almost like, it's like a kind of fashion fashion Gucci Versace style layout. It's a real deliberate Paris fashion uh, tie up. Uh, George, Michael Jordan's involved with that as well. And I, I think that is, although it's something he's really emphasised, I also think it's something that's quite planned and quite strategic um, with the club. Tom might know better than me, sort of the, the, that how that strategy's played out in France. But but I do think, you know, 
they, they have deliberately tried to build that around the city. Better than I'm saying, I'm, I'm really committed to Qatar, which is worth the money. Exactly, right? Yeah, or, 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 or I'm really committed to X amount of money. Yeah. It's a better story. <laughs> but I mean, I think something that really comes across when you listen to Mbappe, and I'm not sure you necessarily get this if if it's, it's been translated, and he speaks very well in English and he speaks pretty decent Spanish as well, but he is an exceptional communicator. He speaks so confidently, so well. And throughout these months of speculation, he has never seemed bothered by questions about it. And and he has been quite sort of deliberately playing the game, if you like, with, with the media in a way that recalls the way that Antoine Griezmann announced his decision to, Atletico, to stay at Atletico Madrid um, in 2018, only to then you know, leave a, a year later. But I... Mbappe, I think, relishes that. I mean, there was a there was a, a mixer after a PSG game a little while ago, and, and he'd obviously decided that he had a message to get across. So he was asked about his future, and he said, "Oh, you know, there are some there are some new elements that have come to light." So I'm, I'm having to give it some more thought. And he was asked a few follow up questions, and then he was asked another follow up question. He said, oh, I, "I think you've got enough to be getting on with," and you know, kind of off he went with a little wink. He he really enjoys that, and he is a very a very smart cookie. And and uh, yeah, I, I thought I thought his his press conference yesterday was. Was, was really impressive. And I mean, we are, we're entitled to be cynical about, about the, the kind of the motivations that, that, that he has, that he has advanced, that, that PSG have advanced perhaps for, for wanting to commit to the club. But this, this idea of, you know, him being a proud, a proud Frenchman and, you know, and, and, and wanting to sort of give something back to, to France and, and, and give something back to, to, to Paris, to, to his home city. It, it ties in with something we saw quite a lot after France's World Cup win in, in 2018. And, 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 you know, as we know, the, the France national team has had quite a complicated relationship with the country um, and ha- has been used um, by all sorts of, of, of politicians and uh, political commentators to make various points about French nationality and, and immigration and, and what it means to be French. And one of the striking things for me uh, towards the end of the World Cup in 2018 was hearing French players shouting, uh, vive la France, vive la République, in a very kind of uncynical, very kind of wholehearted way. For 20, 30 years, French footballers playing for the national team have had what it means to be French projected onto them, have been used to, you know, have been used to, to make points about, about immigration, about racism, about, about Islam, about Islamophobia, all sorts of things. And in 2018, the French team decided, actually, we're going to take ownership of this now. And, and we know that regardless of our backgrounds, et cetera, that we're all French. We're all sort of proud French people. And, and I think that, that, I think that is a, a genuine part of, of, of Mbappe's thinking. I think he is genuinely quite a patriotic guy. Um, you know, he's been having, you know, sort of audiences at the Elysee Palace with, with Emmanuel Macron for, for, for years now. I mean, you know, being invited to, to talk in, you know, in seminars and, and things like that. And while it's, Natural to be cynical about this deal, and while I think it's uh, you know appropriate even to be cynical about certain elements of it, that particular part of it, I am I'm prepared to believe that you know that, that there is at least at its at its root some some genuine feeling. Because he's an absolute superstar now, Tom. Do you think it's almost better for his brand to stay with Paris than it was to go to Real Madrid? I mean, his brand is so strong um, that I, I don't think it would have been you know, negatively affected either way. I just think of all um, this Jordan su- stuff and I think of the way Michael Jordan was as a, as a sportsman as well. It just kind of feels like Mbappe's going for that vibe in my mind. Mm. But I mean, I suppose you think that, you know, if he is to, to mark football history, if he is to win the Champions League and, and win the Ballon d'Or, will that have greater meaning um, in terms of European football history if he does it at Real Madrid and wins the 14th or 15th Champions League for Real Madrid, or if he wins the first Champions League for, for PSG, if he becomes the second you know, French club to win the Champions League after, after, after Marseille, and as we all know, there's a, a fairly large asterisk next to that uh, particular triumph. Um, I guess he could I, do I, both. I think, he could end up doing both now. Anyway, he, I mean, and yeah. he, you know, the chances are he, he, he could end up doing both, and, and, and I think that's the beauty of, of, of being the best footballer in the world, aged only 23, I, I suspect chances are he probably will end up playing for Real Madrid one day, but and I, but I guess his thinking is that he can now do it having, you know, uh, having uh, 
theoretically taken PSG to the next level, which of course means you know winning the Champions League. The view from here is that it's a like it's an un- unambitious move by staying in Paris Saint Germain. It's kind of easy. You can stay within his comfort zone. He can he can win League One, League One. He can score three goals against Mets. And may, like if he does, you know, drive PSG to win the Champions League, then that would be fantastic. But having been at, at the stadium when when PSG, PSG fell apart against Madrid and all the momentum that's been behind Madrid and all the the tradition of the club, the, the winning nature of the club, all the Champions Leagues that they boast about. That lots of people around Madrid are like this shows that he's he's more interested maybe in in the marketing end of it or in the you know building his brand and that kind of stuff. And maybe it is easier to, to do that in Paris. But it, if he really wanted to prove himself and win not just one Champions League but four or five Champions Leagues, do what what you know Benzema has done or, or what Modric, Cruz, these guys have done, then from a football point of view, that people again this is putting forward a view that, that I've been told but people can't really understand how anybody would want to stay in Paris anyway it's like it's like where Messi and Ramos go when they're towards the end of their career or look what happened to Neymar he went there to, to win the Ballon d'Or and, and that didn't work out so well from there is definitely a snobbishness that emanates from from Spain and from the Madrid press towards that that decision and I think a lot of it I mean a lot of it comes down to just how convinced they were they were going to get their way because that is the path of history with Real Madrid when they decide they want a player. I mean, you can look at when they decided they want Cristiano Ronaldo or Gareth Bale or Thibaut Courtois or Eden Hazard. So many players over the years that have gone kicking and screaming to make sure they get a move to Real Madrid. And Mbappe never quite did that. You know, we we know that he wanted the move. We know he told PSG last summer he wanted the move. But he always stopped short of like those really sort of nuclear acts that a player can do you know last summer Harry Kane didn't come back for pre-season training until a little bit late and Mbappe didn't do that even on that you know that very last weekend of the transfer window where Madrid was saying they were putting in for one bid two bid three bids Mbappe went out and played scored goals was smiling he was happy he was criticized for that on on Spanish television there was never this real sense that Mbappe was going to burn the world down at PSG to make sure he got that move to Real Madrid and I think I think there's some people in Madrid that struggle to deal with that. El Chiringuito, which is like a gossipy style tabloid TV show. I mean, they had like this countdown clock with Mbappe's face over it last summer in the last week of the transfer window, expecting it was inevitable, it was going to happen. And you had like Mbappe superimposed behind pr- prison bars um, with the PSG badge. And it, it really does speak to, I think, Madrid sort of struggling to come to terms with the fact that their place in European football is changing slightly. There is this real sort of battle between state-backed clubs like PSG and Manchester City and these legacy clubs, these traditional powerhouses like Real Madrid and Manchester United and Barcelona and Juventus who have come to basically think the home of the best players in the world is with us. And then all of a sudden you have these clubs come along with huge resources who are within the remits of financial fair play somewhere um, saying, actually, no, we're going to challenge you for this. And you're going to get it with Newcastle as well. And this is the this is the debate, which is what led us to the Super League, probably to a great extent. It's also what is going to really sort of define, I think, the tensions of European football for the next couple of years. Um, and, you know, Madrid and PSG really don't like each other at the moment. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Still to come, we're going to get a little bit deeper into some of those political tensions at the heart of this deal and the old versus new money feud that has really come to head over Mbappe's new deal. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There will be new players. They will, they will sell players. Well, a lot of them, they're hoping to, to at least. 
Uh, and this is certainly a new era. This is the Kylian Mbappe era, even more than in the last five years. And if I was Neymar, I'd be quite worried about what's going to happen in the next two months. But just to finish on Kylian, if you thought as a player for a 23-year-old, regardless of what he's won already, but uh, you know, in terms of talent, he's impressive. I wish you could speak French and listen to him speak to the media like he did today in his press conference because really I, I, I have never seen 23-year-olds who can talk like him about contract, negotiation, image rights, even Real Madrid fans in the context because even his answer to the question, what do you want to say to the Madrid fans, was spot on, perfect. He's so intelligent that he, reads the, he understands the question so well. You can't trap him, you can't trick him. He's, he's amazing, I have to say, on and off the pitch. He's, whether you, you like him or not, or you like what he did or not, it's a different story. But that press conference showed that he's as good in terms of communication that he is on the pitch. That was Julian Laurent speaking on this week's European edition of the Totally Football Show. Um, Adam, you, you touched on in your piece how this whole deal, and, and Dermot's already mentioned it as well, really kind of epitomises this feud that's been blown up since the, the Super League proposal and the not complete abandonment of it, but let's say it's just kind of in the background for a little bit longer. But this deal kind of epitomises the two powers that are at the heart of that battle. Yeah, it does. And yeah, I suppose it all goes back to when the Super League launched in, when was it? This uh, April 2021. PSG, there was probably three reasons why the Super League didn't happen. Um one of which was that, you know, at the time there wasn't an established broadcast partner for the competition. The second was that all the clubs involved just underestimated all their various stakeholders, whether that was media or supporters or players or coaches, um, politicians um, as well, fans groups. And the, the final point was <laughs> two countries weren't in on it. The Germans and the French weren't having it at that at the point at which it was launched PSG and Bayern Munich who were the two clubs who were in the final of the Champions League the year before players like Mbappe and Neymar weren't going to be in that competition there was a big expectation from those clubs in the Super League your Real Madrid and Barcelona and Juventus and Manchester United as soon as this thing launches PSG will be so scared by the prospects of missing out a bit like Man City were when they came in that they'll have no choice but to fall into line but it didn't happen. It didn't happen because they kind of just read the room and also they underestimated the fact that PSG and Nasser Al-Khalafi doesn't only run PSG, he also runs one of the biggest television networks in the world in BN Sport, which has huge contracts with UEFA competitions and also you know, very good relationships with people at UEFA such as the president, uh, uh, Shefferin. So they didn't fall into line and I think there's always been a sense since then that PSG have kind of tried to portray themselves as basically the saviours of European football. And because they all dropped out, both of uh, UEFA and also the European Clubs Association, it meant that PSG sort of accidentally became the, the guys that run European football. So you had other clubs genuinely asking PSG that week, asking Nasser Al-Khalafi, we need someone with clout, we need someone with influence, we need someone with a real voice from a big club. It can't just be you know, with all due respect, Edwin van der Sar at Ajax being the main voice in this room. It needs to be a bigger club. So Nasser Al-Khalafi becomes the president of the European Clubs Association. He also takes up a really senior role at UEFA, along with Bayern Munich. And from there, you're, you have PSG from that moment on saying, we are the people standing up for the little guys in European football. We're giving them a voice. We, we want it to be football for everyone. And on some levels, they, they kind of have a point both them and Manchester City, in the sense of every club that's not Manchester United, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Juventus, every club's fan base wants to dream that one day they can win things and they can compete. So in the way that PSG and Man City 15 years ago couldn't do those things, they look at those clubs and think, one day, I wouldn't mind. You know, Dan, you're a Villa fan. One day, you'd quite like to be where PSG and City are now. Maybe you'd get some fans say, oh, I'm not sure I want to do it that way with money from that, those sources and things like that. Okay. It's the only way it's going to happen. But it's the only way it's going to happen because football is so rigged, really, towards those very biggest clubs. And on the other side, 
you have Real Madrid, Juventus, Barcelona saying, no, we're the ones standing up for the little guys because how can anyone be expected to compete when you have the resources of the most important sources of oil in the world, even more so now that you have this situation going on with Russia because Qatar has become arguably, and Saudi have become arguably the most important places in the world for the West. So that is the, that is the tension. You have these two people, these two camps just completely convinced they are in the right, completely convinced. And probably somewhere in the middle, you have people like us saying, oh, I don't love that model. I don't love that other model either. But you're kind of having to pick and choose slightly. I mean, it is, it is one of the quaint subplots of this whole thing that somehow both Real Madrid and PSG are kind of trying to pass themselves off as the, the saviours of football when everyone in the world who doesn't support either PSG or Real Madrid basically sees them as, as the bad guys. Um, but I mean, yeah, and to sort of, you know, to, to, um, to draw on what Adam was saying, I mean, it's been an obsession for PSG to cosy up to UEFA right from the beginning. Um, and if you go back to some of the humiliations that have been visited upon, upon PSG in the Champions League, notably the remontada against Barcelona in 2017. There was a feeling at the time at PSG and in France that that was the sort of thing that happened to little clubs, that big clubs didn't, didn't um, have to put up with what PSG saw as a substandard, unfair refereeing and that the only way uh, to try and protect against that happening again was was to cosy up to UEFA. And that's kind of been a running theme over the last few years. So you can kind of understand the opportunism on, on PSG's behalf when the Super League emerged. It was a kind of perfect opportunity to cosy up to, to the decision makers at UEFA to, to finally become part of the establishment because PSG keep thinking that they've arrived. They keep thinking that they've become part of the establishment. When they beat Barcelona 4-0 in that first leg back in 2017, they thought they'd arrived and then they got humiliated. And actually, no, you're not, guys. And then they got humiliated by Man United's C team in 2019. It was the same thing again. And then they reached the Champions League final in, in 2020, but they lost. Still not there, still not there. So actually, from that perspective, the, the European Super League was was, you know, kind of... An absolute gift. Um, and, and I think that the fact that, I mean, you know, I spoke to people who said that Nasser Al-Khalifi, you know, was, was, was genuinely horrified by the European Super League, that he, he watched the video of Gary Neville railing against it on Sky Sports with, you know, with a kind of a look of sort of dewy-eyed innocence. Who knew Gary Neville it was so popular? <laughs> But there was clearly a bit of a bit of opportunism in there, um, and it's yeah, you know, it's uh, I think taking that stance has, has served them pretty well. He's definitely shown to be like when it comes to diplomacy or the corridors of power or the the kind of deals that go on behind the scenes that we don't um, or we try and figure out as much about them as we can. But Nasser Khalifi has played a blinder over the last couple of years on the pitch. Things haven't gone so well for PSG, and again, you know, talking about the referees, there was. Um, Nasser coming down to the into the tunnels at the Bernabeu when when Paris Saint Germain got knocked out to complain about the Donnarumma the incident there, and again Madrid are, are you know again this is the the kind of briefing that goes on but they're upset that um, that nothing was done about that 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 you know his behaviour that night wasn't um, you know he, he lost his temper um, UEFA are well aware that, that happened but what are they going to do are they going to to punish the guy who's so close to the president, who's the, the president of the ECA, who's involved with being sports, as Adam says, who's, you know, one of the, the major backers of, of European football. Things have got so tangled that, you know, kind of what happens on the pitch is, you know, can be a, a sidle in it, but it's still the most important thing. And Paris and Germain have, haven't got that right yet. And it seems to be a, a huge frustration for them. Maybe that's why they, they have fought so hard to, to keep Mbappe, because, you know, clearly from in the Madrid game, he was... By miles, the, the best player on the pitch in, in that game. When he plays at his best, there's nobody who can who can touch him. It seems at the minute, um, but it's the like getting PSG to win trophies on the pitch seems to be the the final piece in the jigsaw. That or apart from Ligue 1, um, that that they still have to do. There's just there's just one there's just one um, final point politically on, on on that stuff that on Saturday before this was even announced, you had La Liga putting out a statement about the possible announcement of Mbappe's contract. It wasn't a response to it actually being announced. This was a response to the possible announcement of Mbappe's renewal. And I've never seen anything like it from a, from a, a league to put out a statement. Um, and if, if people listening haven't seen it, this is the Spanish league 
reacting to a contract extension at a club in France, um, basically saying, you know, that this uh, this is a threat to the stability of European football. We're going to make a complaint to UEFA. We're going to make a complaint in the French courts, in the European courts. And, you know, that we really want to get a medium to long-term win here on financial fair play because we cannot compete with these clubs that have state backing. That's that's basically their argument. But I think it spoke for a real insecurity in Spanish football about the fact they were hoping they would have Mbappe and Haaland in the Spanish league. And that would obviously have a huge impact when it comes to marketing, to broadcast rights, all the different things that we talk about with these domestic leagues. And all of a sudden they find themselves, you know, no Ronaldo, no Messi, and then the next generation of superstars, Mbappe and Haaland, they're also not in Spain. Oh, and by the way, Barcelona are in 1.2 billion of debt. Um, and that's, uh, you know, they're not as strong as they were. Real Madrid, you know, they are, I think they're going to get stronger and they're going to recruit well. But all of a sudden, from 10 years ago, where La Liga really seems to be the place to watch fo- the best football, even if the Premier League was always ahead commercially, I think they're a little bit worried right now about just where that league is going and just how big a draw Spanish football is. And just if you look at the net spend of Premier League clubs compared to La Liga clubs last summer, Premier League clubs were 10 times higher. I mean, it's an extraordinary gap that's developed and that is only going to get bigger. That's only going to get bigger now. Um, so, and I think on the the final, final point on that is you have a president there in Javier Tebas who is just so personally invested in this. He genuinely believes PSG and Man City are a huge threat to you know the economic stability of European football and at any opportunity he will talk about that but it was a really extraordinary thing to see a statement from a league about a renewal of a contract a possible renewal of a contract in another league um I don't think we'll see something like it again to be honest it's not almost too late to be complaining about that stuff because it's obviously not to this extent but been going on for years now so the horse has already bolted in a lot of respects. <laughs> Javier Tevez is, has introduced his own type of, of financial fair play in, into La Liga, which has worked to an extent in that it, it sorted out some of the financial problems that the smaller clubs had. Um, Barcelona will argue that it's kind of hamstrung their um, attempts to get out of debt and didn't really stop them getting into huge debts. But if Paris Saint-Germain are able to, to go out and, and just kind of financial fair play doesn't, doesn't apply to them, or to Manchester City, then it is. Adam's right, it's very difficult for, for Madrid or Barcelona, even with the millions of fans they have around the world, to try and generate the, the type of money to go and just find whatever hundreds of millions that, that you want to get to persuade Kylian Mbappe to stay. Madrid have had to to save up for you know three, four years in order to, to get the money together. They've had to, to make difficult decisions on their squad and decide, OK, we're going to sell this player. We're not going to move for, for Erling Haaland, for instance, because... It's like an open secret, whoever you talk to, is the Mbappe fund that, that's at the Bernabeu that, that's been building and building over the last couple of years as they, they sell Varane, they sell Odegaard, Ramos gets off the wage bill this summer, you know, Bale. Will, will and, they spend that now? Or will they save it literally for two years' time, probably? All of it they, they won't spend, but the, the talk here, and even out at the Valdebebas at the training ground today amongst the journalists was like, who are they going to go for? They have to go for somebody. Um, mm. There's no obvious target, you know. Mo Salah, Lewandowski, um, Neymar, <laughs> you know, like you, you can do a championship manager kind of plan and just pick names out of the air, but there's no obvious, nobody's as good as Mbappe, Haaland was the other one, he's off the market now, so they are kind of stuck, what are you, do you blow it all on somebody, like Barca did a few years ago when they signed Coutinho and Dembele just because they had to sign somebody, didn't work out well for them, Ritter generally smarter in the way they spend money, not always because... Well, Hazard, Joe, which, you, you know, you can go through them. But generally, they're smarter than Barca anyway, how they spend money. But how they react to this, like, embarrassment, humiliation, whatever you want to call it, is going to be, you know, fascinating. And it's going to keep us busy for the next couple of weeks and months, for sure. Well, so let's talk about, finally, the Qatar World Cup. Because in the background of all this, we're, what, five, six months away from that uh, starting. And we know the links between... PSG and and the Qatari state and this is a big moment for them and f- for that country and securing Mbappe for a few more years is is a big part of that grand plan when it comes to football as well so how much has this played a part in everything that's going on and also you know those calls between Emmanuel Macron and um you know the the hierarchy in Qatar because this is so much bigger than just Kylian Mbappe and just PSG Football Club. 
It really depends who you speak to. There are people who say, you know, it's the year of the Qatar World Cup. It's 2022. It's the year that Qatar Sport Investments, that own PSG, which is essentially a kind of sovereign fund of, of Qatar, has been building towards for the past, you know, over a decade. And therefore, you know, if you have Mbappe, Neymar, Messi, Verratti, well, Verratti won't be there, then that's really good for the brand. There's other people who are pretty close to the sort of PSG and Qatar hierarchy, and maybe it's in their interest to say this, who just say it's really overplayed. It's really overplayed how important this is, you know. That, and again, a pinch of salt here, but they will say, you know, we bought PSG for 70-odd million euros uh, back in 2011. It's now worth probably several, over, definitely over a billion, potentially several billion when you bring in all the different assets that the club has and all the different commercial potential. They'll say, a bit like Man City do, it's an investment project. You know, we're growing the asset of the brand. Therefore, whenever we sell this, we'll make a bit of money and also would have raised the profile. And I think they've probably got a point, to be honest, with, with what they're saying there. And I'm not sure how involved, you know, people have been saying, oh, it's been the Emir of Qatar that swung it for, for Mbappe. I mean, the, the Emir of Qatar has kind of been on a diplomatic tour over the past week. I don't think he's been that involved in, in these negotiations with Kylian Mbappe and Kylian Mbappe's mum and things like that. Um, I, I do think that this is being slightly um, overdone. At the same time, you can't dispute that Qatar 2022, being able to have billboards with PSG shirts with Qatar sponsors with Mbappe, Messi and Neymar over it, it's a good thing. But I don't, I don't think it's been the essential factor in this. Um, and the, the other thing to say as well is, I think it's definitely true Macron from a French point of view was very keen to keep Mbappe in France. But actually the relationship between France and Qatar hasn't been as good as perhaps people think it has for the last couple of years. There's been a little bit of, particularly during the blockade period where um, Qatar had significant problems with its neighbours such as Saudi Arabia and Bahrain. Um, and there was there was a really serious blockade there and big rows over the piracy and things like that. They felt the French actually took the side of the UAE a little bit too much in that in that dispute. So I don't think necessarily France and Qatar is, is as cosy as people think it is. But at the same time, this is not a bad thing for Qatar that Mbappe stays. Tom might disagree with that. I mean, no, I, I, I think that's a valid point. I mean, a lot of this is about PR. And whether that is pro-Qatar PR, pro-Qatar World Cup PR, or just pro-PSG PR is, is perhaps another, another conversation. But, you know, if you go back to last summer and Real Madrid offering upwards of 180 million euros for a player who they'd be able to sign on a free contract in less than 12 months, um, and PSG rejecting that, in no other circumstances would a football club feel confident about turning down that kind of money. Because at that point, given Mbappe's apparent determination to leave and his desire to join Real Madrid, which he subsequently confirmed it felt like he was going to leave on a free. And basically the choice that PSG had was, well, look, either you can accept this enormous amount of money for this player or he's going to leave for free and he might agree to join Real Madrid in, in six months' time. No other football club on earth, apart from perhaps Manchester City, can afford to turn down that sort of money. An awful lot of this for, for PSG has been about about like the optics in a way. I mean, it's... It might seem absurd because, you know, we are, of course, talking about the world's greatest player. But, I mean, PSG will win the league even if Mbappe isn't there. Say Mbappe mm -hmm. had left. PSG will go out, spend, a, a, you know, a, a load of money on a successor. And PSG will probably counter to the league and title again next season. So the, there's more to it than that, that. The determination, that the fact that they have been prepared to move heaven and earth to give him this enormous contract, to give him a say in the kind of top-level you know, management structure decisions, um, that that speaks to a certain desperation. And for me, that's a desperation that is that is reflective of concerns that go beyond pure sporting success mm -hmm. and sporting team. It, it's about it's about sort of protecting the you know, protecting the look of the of the of the, of the club and, and protecting the, the brand as well. I suppose it's interesting. The two points they I remember from last summer. One of the points they made when turning down that money 
was they still had this big chunk to pay to Monaco for the signing of Mbappe in the first place. So I think that was still around 36 million euros or so. So if they'd have taken that 180 million, um, I don't think it went higher than that in the end formally. If they'd have taken that, they still had to pay Monaco the 36 million. And then you end up with around 125 million or so um, and a week left of the transfer window. And the world knows you've got 125 million as well as being a really, really rich football club. And the sporting reason they gave, I agree with you, I think there's probably a vanity and reason behind it. The sporting reason they gave was like, well, with 125 million, what are we meant to do to replace a player as good as Mbappe in those circumstances? Now, they had just signed Messi, right? So that was a pretty good, that was a pretty good replacement. Um, so I, I do, it, it's, an, it's a really interesting thing, um, you know, that, that, that you say. I, and, and the other point they made was, look, we still think we can keep him. It was a high wire act, but they've been proven right, um, ultimately. And it's an extraordinary business decision in the end that they took that risk and it's come off. Um, I, you know, at the time it was, you know, who is the more insane party here? Is it Real Madrid offering 180 million for a player they could sign for three in 10 months? Or is it PSG for turning that down? And I suppose those same accusations that we can talk about, um, I suppose PSG distorting football, I think it's also pretty wild that Madrid could offer that kind of money for a player they could have for nothing in Especially at that time as well. At that time, yeah. in, you know, still uncertainty about stadiums being filled and uh, Madrid having their own stadium renovation project um, as well. And you know, it's really one of the things PSG have been putting around over the last few days is Madrid's own accusations of state aid um, as well. So it's there's no good. I don't think there's a good guy in this battle um, <laughs> at all. I think you know, if people have been waiting for the end of the podcast, where sort of the good guys come out on top, I don't think that's the conclusion that we're going to reach. Tom, just quickly before we do wrap, in this weird situation we're now in with Mbappe, who who is he going to want as manager and to bring in in the summer transfer? Was now as it appears he's in charge of PSG. Yeah, is he the new director of football when uh, Leonardo goes? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like this is. You know, this is the joke, but I mean, you know, he is obviously, you know, having a say. Um, and this, but this actually predates the announcement about the new contract. You know, you go back to last summer and when, uh, PSG unveiled, uh, Messi and Nasser El Khalifi was asked about what that might mean for Kylian Mbappe's future. And he said, well, look, he's asked us to improve the squad. You can't really improve it much more than signing arguably the greatest player of all time. So, so they've been thinking about Mbappe. Well before, you know, we we got to where we are now with this, uh, you know, with this new contract agreement. Um, so obviously, Leonardo has gone as sporting director um, and the reports coming out of France suggest that uh, Luis Campos, uh, former kind of proxy sporting director at, at, at Lille and also at Monaco, might be the man to replace him and someone who Mbappe knows from, from his own time at Monaco. Um and then again, the expectation all along has been that Pochettino's days are numbered as well, um, because, you know, he was brought in to give PSG some kind of on-pitch identity in the same way that Unai Emery and, and Thomas Tuchel were before him. And in, in the same way that Emery and, and Tuchel failed to do that, he in turn has failed to do that as well. But then the front page of the keep this morning is, oh, well, actually, Mbappe kind of likes Pochettino. And you kind of get the sense almost of PSG's decision makers sort of looking at the things that they had in the pipeline. But, oh, hang on, should we, you know, just double check to make sure that, that Killian and, and Killian's mum and dad have kind of okayed that? I mean, we, we don't yet know how much of a say he's getting. I mean, I, I don't think he's, he's going to be, get, you know, getting the final say on, on things like this, but he is clearly going to be getting some kind of input. Um, and Tom, Tom what, do you, what do you think of. Because I think like when we think about this in football terms, like the idea of a player having a say over who's going to coach them and who's going to be the sporting director and things like that. And I suppose this is all kind of unverified as well. It's based on you know a lot of sort of very reliable reports in France. But when you kind of step back from it and you think, if you view a football club as a business and you have your highest value employee who is absolutely central to your success or failure, does it not make a bit of sense to have that discussion if it's not a final say if it's yeah we're happy to have you part of those discussions we want to maximize what you can give to us as an employee 
it sounds really dirty in football terms. But mm. I think actually in normal business terms, it makes quite a bit of sense. I mean, it, it does. It does make sense to get buy-in from the players, and particularly when you know the the big issue PSG have had in, in recent seasons has been that absence of any kind of coherent playing style. So, if you want everyone to be singing from the hem, from the same hymn sheet, it, it makes sense for you know for the players to, to be on the same page as, as the coach and the sporting director. So, you know, I, I think it does make sense to to be. Um, to be speaking to you know to your most important players when it comes to things like this, but but the great irony of, of this recent development is that we've we've been saying for years that the players at PSG have too much yeah. power. That that's the problem with PSG. They run the club, and actually the succession of coaches who've come in and tried to change the playing style. It's like Unai Emery came in and he said, right, I know that you're a bit of a possession team, but I'm all about kind of verticality and this is the way forward. And they kind of tried it for a few weeks and then they called a meeting and said, well, actually, we kind of got used to just, you know, sort of dominating possession. So we'd quite like to go back to that. And they ended up with this kind of tactical fudge that was, you know, neither one thing or the other. Um, And all along, there's been this feeling that, you know, somehow you, you need to kind of you need to end up with a setup where the players kind of know where they where they stand and and so PSG's response to the players having too much power is to give even more power to only one player Kylian Mbappe so I, I'm not entirely sure how that sort of how that marries up with with that sort of admission of of, of a need for, for you know for, for the coach to have more authority and I've also it's also been interesting that a lot of the coaches who PSG are being linked with are Coaches in a similar mould to Emery, Tuchel, Pochettino, um, you know, coaches with very clear ideas about about the sort of football they want to play, um, you know, kind of more towards the tactical ideologue end of the of the of the football coach spectrum, as opposed to a Carlo Ancelotti type figure or a Zinedine Zidane type figure, who of course is is you know the, the great uh, out of work French football coach at, at the moment and. You know, given this this massive, uncontrollable collection of egos, I think there probably is an argument for 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 recruiting a coach who is more of an Ancelotti, Zidane type, who's more about sort of well, you know, we've got a defensive structure, and then the players have a certain degree of freedom. Because if the Emery, Tuchel, Pochettino experiences have have taught us anything, it's that this group of PSG players are quite resistant to being told what to do. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so on top of that, Mbappe now now getting a say. I mean it. Yeah, I guess you're, you're sort of PSG have recognised the need for the coach to have more authority, but at the same time, uh, a, a kind of giving their star player authority, you know, potentially over the identity even of, of the coach. Slightly muddled thinking um, for me, at least. It reminds me when uh, Rafa Benitez was at Real Madrid, and he starts, I suppose becoming very frustrated that Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't want instructions before a home match against Levante because he knows what he's doing. And, you, you know, you have these coaches that want to sort of prepare absolutely every part of the match. And there are, I think, I think there are players when they get to a certain level that are above that, you know, rightly or wrongly, unless you have a, a real strength of personality like a Guardiola, Klopp, a Ferguson maybe... That's really, really hard for any coach unless you have the absolute buy-in of the club, the club's executive, which for too long coaches at PSG haven't had. And even if a few months ago, I remember speaking to someone there and they say, yeah, we know this, you know, this time we really need to change it. We need to change the culture. We're going to give a manager that power. And now you're like, is that really going to happen? Or is keeping Ed Kylian Mbappe happy going to be more important? The knack there is to get somebody like Ancelotti or Zidane who's able to give a minimum amount of tactical instruction to the players while without the players even realising it or to to whisper to the players and get them to, to form some kind of coherent group without alienating them, which you would imagine if PSG are going to have Neymar and Messi and, and Mbappe in, the, in this team next year and they're going to have everybody, all the other superstars that they have in, in the club, that they need somebody like that as opposed to somebody, the latest 39-year-old Portuguese guy who's, you know, obviously Ruben Amorim, who's been mentioned, who's done it, obviously a really good coach and, you know, going places in, in football, but it would be very difficult for him to come in and, and impose his ideas on, on addressing like that, I, I would say. Dermot, finally, looking ahead to the Champions League final, how important is it now for Real Madrid to win this competition? And I suppose prove 
what Mbappe is going to miss out on. It's way more important than than a, it had been for Umri. Umri didn't expect to be in a Champions League final this year. Speaking to people around the club back in, in the autumn time, even before the, the game against Saint-Germain in the last 16, they didn't see themselves as favourites against Chelsea, didn't see themselves as favourites against Man City. They had those amazing comebacks. They've felt really good about themselves that's allowed them to feel like the, the great big European club again after some disappointments recently so they were the mood was really good going into the final really positive this has come as a hammer blow to the very top of the club you could argue the dressing room you know are, are disappointed but not so much but the boardroom is really reeling at, at what has happened so from an institutional point of view to be able to win the Champions League in Paris would be, would be huge for them they're going to go all out for it it's going to be difficult. Even at the, the training ground today, a lot of people were like, it's 50-50. You, you talk to them, there's a lot of respect for Liverpool as as a, a real legacy club, not a not a, a nouveau riche type of club. So there's a lot of respect for Liverpool. But yeah, they, they really want to win this. They feel it's their competition. Madrid don't lose finals is what, what everybody tells you around the club. And after the way this week has gone, then they would, yeah, it's, it's going to be emotional on, on Saturday in Paris. Guys, that was so, so interesting. Thanks ever so much for joining us on the pod today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Still time for us to point listeners in the direction of some of the other great articles that are up on the site right now. Flo, what have you been reading? Uh, I found this really funny one from Ian McIntosh, who's kind of like the resident gamer, but this week he's written about uh, Carlo Ancelotti's cameo in the latest Star Trek movie. Um, oh. I haven't watched it. Not um, what I was expecting you to say. And I didn't know this was a thing, but um, yeah, Ian's looked into it. There's actually a YouTube clip as well in the article, which you can watch, but Essentially, he's really good friends with the husband of Zoe Saldana, who's an actress who's in the movie, and her husband's Italian, and they're mates, and he went over to Vancouver to watch them film the movie, and then the director was like, hey, you want a cameo? And Carla was like, yeah, sure. Um, so it's really interesting, very random, but a nice little quirky piece on the site. When you said cameo at first, I was expecting it to be, you know, when people request, uh, like, messages from oh, the celebrities no, no, no. I was expecting it to be something based around that I definitely wasn't expecting it to be what you said there's plenty of other stuff up on the site right now as well there's a great piece on Ralph Ranick's tenure by Laurie Whitwell James McNicholas and David Ornstein have collaborated for a piece on Arsenal's transfer targets and there's lots of reaction to Southgate's latest England squad as well Tamori is in which is excellent news for him he's had a stupendous season for Milan but I personally there's a few things I'm not happy with with that squad but I won't get into them right now are you not? You're not going to give us well, any clues? Well, I can do if you want me to. Just no, to get but... some quick ones, some quick ones. Okay. No problem with, as a Villa fan, Tyra Mings being left out. Fine. Southgate's prerogative to take him out and replace him with a couple of younger players. That's absolutely fine. But how is Harry Maguire still getting in that squad? Come on. I know he's been a stalwart. I know. It's, it's, that le- it's that leaders and that England performance thing, isn't it? And I think we always have this debate with Southgate. But if you've done well on an England shirt, he's going to pick you regardless of, of club performances. That's just kind Mings, of Mings the way has done well in an England shirt when he's played. Oh, yeah, I, but it's, I, it's it's, that's we, could, we could be all our afternoon, so I'm going to stop you there. That's fine. Um, and as always, to read every article we've mentioned on the show today and so much more, visit theathletic.com forward slash football pod and sign up for £1 a month for the first six months.
Yeah, thanks again to our trio of guests, Adam Crafton, Tom Williams and Dermot Corrigan. Thanks ever so much for listening to us all season. It's been a real pleasure for Flo and myself to do this podcast. We're going to take a little post-season break, but make sure you subscribe to the feed so you know when we're coming back. Also, why not revisit and listen to some older episodes as well? There's been some really good stuff. Mark Chapman is back on this feed on Thursday with the latest episode of the Business of Sports podcast, so make sure you tune in for that. Have a great week. Thank you. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic.